thank you everyone for joining us again for another edition of the rec poker podcast we have a little fun over here recording these uh thanks for joining us this week i'm your host jim reed uh you can find out all about me by going to rec.poker slash jim I'd like to thank our wonderful sponsors, Website Amp and Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack, and Casino. But I am just one man here. Uh, I'm joined by a group of Rec Poker Wizards. Uh, Wizards, why don't you tell the folks where they can reach you and a little bit about you? I'm Chris Jones. I'm 5x5 five five on Poker Stars and Twitter. I'm John Somsky, and I'm Poker Geek MN everywhere. I'm Rob Washam, and I'm Radman50 everywhere. I'm Taylor Moss. You can find me on Twitter at, at Taylor underscore Moss. Or if you want to tune in to Twitch, you can watch me on Twitch every Thursday at uh, 9 p.m. Eastern at twitch.tv slash poker. That's right. We got all sorts of killers in the room tonight. And like every week, we are battling each other in the Rec Poker nightly home game on Poker Stars for Play Money, where all that's up for grabs is bragging rights and one of these beautiful, elusive bronze Rec Poker pins. Um, and just like every week, we have taken a post from the forums at Rec.Poker to talk about. Um, and some weeks, we get a special guest. I'm so excited to introduce uh, my friend Stu, who made this post and who has come to uh, share some details about it here at uh, Rec Poker. Stu, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. So uh, you're, you're a, a recently, you, you joined uh, the Rec Poker Premium membership last year. Uh, it's been great having you in the discussions and in the uh, conversations we've had. You've really been a big part of our debates and some rabbit holes we've gone down. So I've really enjoyed that. And I love it when people post uh, questions like this in the forum, spots like this, really, because um, I think spots like this come up a lot. And I, I myself have been kind of unsure. And, and just to, to bring folks into it, it's a spot where we're out of position, but we have a very strong draw. And uh, it's just, it's, it's a delicate spot to play. So um, I'll just introduce the hand a little here from uh, Stu's post. So it's a, uh, it's a scoop event. So if people aren't aware of the spring uh, cup of online poker. And so this has a field of 17,000 players and uh, getting close to the money paying 2,767. It's an $11 tournament on poker stars. And Stu is holding one of my favorite hands a seven spade spade in the big blind uh, with eight players at the table. Blinds are 1250, 2500, and we have 63 big blinds back uh, at about 157,000. So we are, we have been through the tournament a bit by the time the um, blinds are getting up to 1250, 2500. Um, Stu, before we get into it, had you been at this table for long? Had you, had you had a chance to develop any reads on anyone uh, on the table? Yeah, I was at that table quite a long time. Oh, really? Okay, great. Yeah, which yeah. is kind of rare in, in in these big tournaments because the tables break so quickly. Um, you can it's hard to get a lot of hands on people, but that it is nice when you can uh, play with a few people and maybe make some reads. Although I know I that is a lot harder online too. Yes, dude. Right. I think people were tightening up because it was getting close mm. to the money, mm -hmm. which wasn't really a significant amount, but you always want to make the money being in the tournament that long. You know? Yes. Yeah, right. especially those really large field ones, right? Where you have to right. put in quite a few hours um, just to get to that to that bubble. Okay, so you've noticed people are tightening tightening up a little, um, and it's eight handed at the moment. So uh, I'll just describe the action. 
So the low jack limps for 2,500 and the cutoff raises to 3X, um, the small blind folds. So it's coming around to us. Had the low jack been limping as a strat, was this their first limp or had you noticed some limps from them before? Um, no, I hadn't seen that player play too often. So mm. yeah, okay. limping in. Yeah, I, I, it was kind of strange to see. Yeah. Not much action and then they limp. You'd think if they hadn't played much, they'll be raising. But I think again, because it was so close to the money. Right. You know. Okay, so um, we could we could talk about what that means for their range. Um, if it if it's you know if they if they've been playing other hands that they haven't been limping, uh, that might tell us something about it. But let's just uh, let's just stroll through and see. So the cutoff raises. We're in a position now where we can call two more big blinds, or we can fold, or we can reopen the betting. Um, I, I don't think I'm folding here. So the question is, should we call or should we put another bet in? Um, any thoughts from yeah. the panel at this point? Or, or Stuart, what, what was your thinking at the time, Stu? Well, I have 63 big blinds um, with ace, seven of spades. Um, I think I'm going to call one. I'm pretty sure the, the uh, low jack's coming in. So mm. then, you know, it's a good size pot to start with. Yeah. Yeah. Any thoughts? Would anyone else fold pre? Because I actually, I didn't consider folding pre, but afterwards I thought maybe I should have. <laughs> it's it's an interesting spot from just like the dynamics of what's going on, right? Like we're getting close to the money. Um, mm -hmm. When we're in a 17,000 person field, um, I always say the value of min caching goes up exponentially with the number of people that are playing in a tournament. So if you're used to playing small tournaments, like the difference between a cash and not cash isn't as big as when you play these huge fields and the difference between a cash and not cash is huge in my mind, just from the aspect of you're at the point where you're about to cash, but you're still 2,700 some people away from making <laughs> the final table, right? Like how much value are you actually gonna get out of, let's say you triple up here, like, are you, are you that extremely likely to make the final table? No, you, you've got a minefield to go through. Mm -hmm. So um, the importance here in my mind is not busting. And that doesn't mean just fold everything, but it just means we don't want to bust in this spot. That is like priority number one. So that's how I'm doing this hand. When it comes to me, I, I'm probably still calling here. I don't think it's uh crazy to fold uh but i do think it's very very tight to fold if we would choose that here three betting is an option in terms of uh just trying to bring up the aggression right away we're going to be out of position right um, thought about that too potent potentially makes it a little bit easier for us to play but um i think all things considered i think call is just the best option for us pre Yep, I agree. Yep. It's like one of those uh, big blind defense type hands. It's a nice hand to defend. I almost look at it as like um, the original limper just wasn't even there. Mm. I'm just really playing against that. Uh, the guy that raised because he only raised three big blinds. So basically he's raising two big blinds, you know, based on the fact that there's a limper in there. So to me, it's just a, a big blind defense action. And I would definitely call there. 
Yeah, yeah. Take it, Chris. I can tell what you're gonna say. I I like a raise. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I'll tell you, I'll tell you why. It's because of the limper. Um, and and everyone sort of made like uh, assumption. Well, the bit yeah, the limper will probably come along, and and we've got a hand that we're gonna be now multi-way. That's kind of like yeah, it's kind of good. It can kind of flop well, but it's not that great to be out of position with a seven. Um, and I feel like we can learn and so, yes, it's possible. The limper is trapping, right? We're getting into that close to the money place. We haven't seen them limp before, uh, but we're going to learn that real quick if we three bet and actually it's going to probably be cheaper than uh, if we go into this spot and go multi-way or, or, you know, uh, and, and find out sort of down the road that this was kind of a trappy limp low jack player. I, and I really don't want to be going with a seven suited multi-way um, out of position um, and, and, if I and, can avoid it. And, and the position's really key there because being in position with a, with a suited ace is actually like, it's a nice spot oh, in, yeah. a multi, in a multi-way yeah. pot because you're going to sure. over flush somebody, you know, you're going to have the nuts when someone else has, you know, a pretty good hand, but out of position and, and <laughs> we might see this come into play. Um, it is harder to play these kind of hands out of position. And so there's some argument to isolating there. And, and we're deep enough where it's um, where we can easily three bet fold this, um, I think we're probably going to find out that limp is, you know, most of the time that limp's going to be pretty weak. And I think what we're probably going to do is just win this hand a, a lot. Um, and if we don't, then it's a hand that, okay, it's a hand that can flop still decently. And if we get four bet, it's easy to fold. Uh, I, I, per, I mean, tell me I'm wrong, but I, I really <laughs> like, I like a three bet here because of the limp, I would defend this if it was just a cutoff open, but because of the limp, I like a three bet. And, and when Chris says defends, he means just to, to call from the big blind is, is part of is what that jargon means um, as opposed to a three bet. And I think, you know, one of the things, one of the things I love about suited aces is that they make good calls and they make good three bets. So uh, it, it's sometimes it can actually be a little paralyzing because you feel like, well, I've got this great candidate for both these actions and so then you have to think, okay, so then what is the spot? What does the spot demand? Is this a spot where I should be calling? Are these opponents that I'm better off calling against or, or, or playing aggressively against? Um, and it's hard, it's hard to say that in a vacuum, but I do think that um, this is the kind of hand that you could fold call or three bet with depending on stack sizes and, and player uh, tendencies. So it's why it's a great example uh, for us to talk about here. Um, and it's one of why it's one of my favorite hands because it's a really hard one to play <laughs> correctly, right? But it, but the thing I like most about what Chris says is that it's it's one of those sort of canonical three bet fold hands where you're actually ahead of some of the th of their open calling range. You've got blockers against the hands that you don't want them to have, um, and it's an easy fold to their four bets. So it's it's one of those hands that. Uh, um, so what size would the three bet? Oh, good question. Great question. Yes, that's why Stu's out there killing it in the daily uh, <laughs> series every night. Um, so good question. So there was a, a limp three behind. So I'm probably thinking like eight or nine. Is that even too small? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, yeah you're right. Yeah, 10. 10. If, I was going to say 10, 10 and a half. Out of position. I got to go bigger. Yeah. I was sizing down because the original raise over limp was smaller, but I shouldn't, 
that's playing their game. We should be setting our own price for these when we, especially out of position, right? You guys are right. You're always right. <laughs> so yeah, I, I like that too. 10, 10 to 12 so big blinds. Still raise 10 big blinds, fold, leaves me 53 mm-hmm. bigs. Yeah. Still good stack. Yeah. And a good rule for that, if, if people are looking for one, is like 25% of your stack. I think that's like a pretty good hard rule. So if you're at 40 big blinds or if you're around 40 big blinds, you probably don't want to be three bet folding to 10. Um, but more than that, and I think that I think that is the right size. Thanks for keeping me honest, guys. Um, so as played, we get the call, and uh, the hijack does call. So on the flop, the pot is uh, twenty six thousand, and the flop comes pretty good for Stu. Uh, five of spades, six of spades, ten of diamonds. Uh, Stu has ace of spades, seven of spades. So we've got the nut flush draw. Uh, we've got a backdoor straight and nothing else, but there is a lot going on. I think in these dynamics, we're probably checking 100% of the time. Does anyone want to advocate for a lead here with any part of their range? I'm, I'm just checking all the time here. I haven't gone to the trouble of getting fancy enough to have a lead here. Check so, to the aggressor. Yeah, so we, we check. I think that's uh, uncontroversial. Um, the low jack bets half pot and the cutoff fold. So that's interesting. So that's the original mm-hmm. limber uh, that makes that bet. So I think we can make some, we can talk a little bit about their range at that point. They, they've limped and called a, range, called a raise and then they chose to lead. We're all talking about how for us, it's a fairly uncontroversial check out of position, but this player has decided to take the lead there. So what kind of hands might they want to do that with when the board comes five, six, 10, two-tone. Uh, what could are they kind of, yeah, take it to be raising a lot of alarm bells in your mind. Like mm-hmm. um, when you, when you see this, like, especially just like reading through like what you wrote, it can get lost in the confusion, but Jim did a really good job of pointing it out. Like this is the limper that was the passive player pre-flop now deciding to leave out. Um had it gone the other way of they check and then the cutoff opens uh ranges are much wider um it there could be more just blank over cards uh but when this happens this is actually pretty scary right like someone was like i'm just gonna play passively but then now all of a sudden is getting aggressive and if we think about what is that limping range for the player pre-flop uh, a lot of hands that they limp these with are potentially like middle pairs, potentially suited connectors, um, and then potentially like aces or kings, like if they're trying to like be trappy about it. Um, you never really know exactly what everyone's doing, but I feel like population tendency is limp suited hands and small pocket pairs and potentially the like top top of the range. And what's scary about that is like, why would you be leading on this flop uh, with some of those hands? Like if you just called with like, you know, two suited cards, are you going to lead out because you have spades? Maybe, but now that's the best case scenario that we're thinking about. Uh, If you have five sixes, potentially tens, that's scary. If they have aces, they have Kings. That's scary. Uh, Just the way this action plays out is just kind of alarming to us and we should kind of have those alerts up and be ready um, on how they're gonna progress on future streets. 
because um, now when it gets back to us, they bet half pot to us and we have to decide what to do. And we're, we're at a really crucial part of the hand, even though it may not really feel like it, we, we really are. Um, if the cutoff had made this decision of, you know, I'm going to continuation bet into us, I absolutely love a check raise here. It, it, it functions so well because they have so many missed uh, cards. They have over pairs. Uh, they have hands that have a lot of equity versus us, but they don't necessarily realize it at this point, like ace king, ace queen. Those hands are like beating us, but we can get them to fold with a check raise. Uh, however, when that limper that just called and then now is becoming the aggressor, what hands do they have? And it's it's not a whole lot of like ace king, ace queen type of stuff. We're, we're up against hands that generally just kind of have us way behind. And the only way that we're going to catch up is the flush. And granted, we do have this like nut flush potential, uh, which is great, but we're also likely behind, even if we hit a seven, uh, if we hit an ace, it might be good, but we don't really know for sure. Um, and we're kind of at this like indifferent spot. So um, a lot is going to be kind of decided here. Personally, I like the way you played it. I like just the call. Uh, there should be enough alarm bells that I'm not ready to like risk my stack here, especially in a spot where we're getting close to the money. We need to preserve our tournament life when we're talking about here. So I think uh, a call here is like our only option. And I really like the point that Taylor's making about the position of the, of the razor here of the better, because um, as he points out, if it's that late position player, they've got all sorts of air in their C betting range there that we can then get to fold with a check raise. And most of the value in this hand is in the fold equity that comes from the check raise. When we get that action from the original limper who then leads into the, to the aggressor, re removing the opportunity for that person to bluff, you know, you got to think about like, why are they trying to do that? And if you told me that the flop had five of spades, six of spades, and the 10 of diamonds, and that this, this, this limping player was either going to be doing it with sets or draws, I would tell you, well, as long as I don't have the ace of spades or the seven of spades in my hand, I feel pretty good about it. But wait a second. Now I'm blocking all the nut flush draws that they can be leading with. I'm blocking all the set, like I'm blocking all the sevens that they could have two overs for this straight draw with. I'm, I'm blocking a lot of those hands that I actually wanted them to have as natural bluffs at this point. So we really are just, we're even through this one action. And, and if people paid attention to Chris Jones's uh, monthly seminar last month about post-flop betting lines, you would see why we should be getting these alarm bells uh, going off when they take this uh, flop lead. But you can tell we're actually really reducing the combos of hands that they should play this way into a pretty tight value range. that has got a lot of sets and, um, you know, some other hands, but we're not, we're kind of not even doing that well against some of those other hands either. So um, I think it's a clear check raise against that late position C bet, mm -hmm. but I, I do like the call here. I think it does play better as a call uh, out of position because the ranges aren't, aren't what we think they are necessarily at first. Any other thoughts Good. on the flop before we? Uh... Well, the only other thing. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I Rob. was just going to say, if you talk about ranges, it's definitely not a polarized range. It's definitely a very condensed range that is right around that five, six, seven, eight, mm. um, and then you know, and some spades in there maybe. But it's in that it's in that fives or sixes or seven, eight type thing. You know, it's right in there. It's 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 not way up here with Ace King or way down here with. Uh, 
two, three, you know, it's, it's right there in the middle. It's very condensed. Yeah. It's a very narrow range and, and we can, so that, that helps us. I think anytime that you can say like, this is a range that just doesn't have many combinations in it, that should make it easier for us to hand read. And so I think that's why some, some of those alarm, alarm bells are going off. And that's why, again, just like I was saying that seven spades is like one of the worst cards we could have um, because it just eliminates a lot of those ones that we'd, we'd like them to have. So uh yeah, Chris. The, the only other thing I would add about spades too is like, as Taylor was mentioning, you know, I think a, a lot of people who are doing this kind of limp calling and is, it's a lot of suited connectors, it's a lot of small pairs, it's all that kind of stuff. And so like the dream scenario here, if we're going to choose to raise is that they have worse spades, right? But I think what we're going to find is that the worst spades are going to have a lot of tens in them. They're going to have a lot of 10, mm. you know, it's going to be a lot of Jack 10 of spades, queen 10 of spades, uh, 10, nine of spades, all those kind of things. So we're actually going to be behind a lot of their spades even. And so I, I just, I'm, I'm really nervous right now. And I'm, <laughs> I'm definitely not raising. Yeah. Like that's, that's, and you lose that opportunity to get your draw to, if, if you raise and they shove on you, then, mm. you know, yep. I think you're better off to call there to see if you get the draw. So that's and, what I did anyway. Yeah. And, and it's interesting. Like if you were, if you were in position, you'd have an opportunity to do one of John Somsky's favorite plays here, uh, which is to just put, put a big pet put a big bet out into the pot on the flop in position and then you're going to, they're going to check to you on the turn. You're actually going to get to see the turn and the river with that one bet right. and see if you actually realized, um, but out of position, you don't have, you don't have that ability. So um, it, it's one real, real important difference, but I think you, I think you're right, Stu. I think that's uh, that's the right thing to be thinking about. So um, as it is, we, we make the call. I think that's right. And in the, in the chat, in the forum post, you say like, should I raise here? Was this a good place to raise? And I think it's that, it's that your 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 um, intuition is telling you like I have a strong draw, I have an opportunity to check raise here, um, and you and that's a good spot to be thinking about it. And I think if, for whatever reason you just you played it with that extra level of classic uh, Canadian savvy, and uh, pot pot controlled into a call there. Uh, and Kim um, pet pet vet, uh, who even though there was a half pot bet made here in the hand, she's stuck around. We haven't sent her out tearing her hair out, running down the street screaming. Uh, and she says, solver says call. So according to the assumptions, uh, Kim's put in uh, what I assume is GTO plus, uh, solver says call. Thank you, Kim. So turn comes the four of clubs. And this is like, <laughs> oh man. So, so now it's four of clubs, five of spades, six of spades, 10 of diamonds. We've got the A7 of spades. So we've got the four, five, six, seven. We've got, uh, we've still got the flush draw. Um, we're open-ended with the nut flush draw. So here's a chance where we could consider leading. Um, when we were talking with Ryan, the plant, uh, on, on our Marek madness show, he said like leading the turn was something that a lot of, uh, uh, recreational players could do more of. I don't know if this is the spot to do it for the same reason why we didn't check raise the earlier street, because this player uh, away from uh, across the street from us is just going to be able to kind of play perfectly according to it. Yeah, Stuart, there's got <laughs> our video watchers. Go check this out on YouTube. You can see we've got some screenshots of the game as it goes. <laughs> so what, what were you thinking, Stu, when the, um, when the four of clubs comes on the turn, I, I am always, I always see this and I'm like, Oh, well, I'm clearly meant to win this hand. It's just a question of how now. Well, I think I would rather, I should have probably, um, like once the turn comes, there's only one more card. 
Right. So again, I was thinking of like just check in and call what every bet. Right. That was my plan. But I wasn't expecting what he actually did. <laughs> so, so and, and I think the check, I think the check is the right play here. Does anybody want to advocate for a lead at this point? Um, as played with stacks, I don't see any. Okay. So I think checking is, is clearly the right call there. Um, and what happens is the low jack just shoves um, a big over bet, I think, which it was is like 54 big blinds or it was all my stack. Yeah. It, it, it would have yeah, left was... me, I think like a couple of thousand. And you're left there with this sick feeling where you've got like half the deck helps you, but yeah. you can't add any fold equity. And, and it's just like, do I call and hope I win or because when you do, it's a huge turning point in the tournament, right? Like that's a pretty big stack for this guy to get it in. And you've got a whole lot of outs. Um, so why don't we just talk about that terrible feeling and what we can mm -hmm. do in that moment. And then maybe we can talk about what, what some other alternatives would have been um, in the moment. In this spot, what's everyone thinking? You've, you've cleared the vomit from the back of your throat. You are, <laughs> you've, you've taken a deep breath. Uh, are people, is, is this a clear call? Is this a clear fold? Is it, what would it depend on? Uh, what, what, are, what are people thinking? I have 53 big blinds left, by the way. 53 behind so you got 53 in your stack yeah so like that's a lot to, that's a lot of big blinds to call on a on a draw um and you could still be good with ace high here some portion of the time if you think about their opening range i think a lot of the hands have been eliminated from their range that you are beating at this point the way the action is gone um but we don't know that for sure uh i think if we call it's 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 on the understanding that we need a spade and not a spade that pairs the board. And that's what we're basically calling for. Does that feel right to people? Is that the, is that the proposition that we're entertaining here? Yeah. Chris, you look like hey. you want to. Oh, go ahead. I, I, I just, I think probably our straight is probably, I mean, I think, I think our straight or our flush is good. So we oh yeah. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. That's right combo draw that's Sorry, all taylor. i was gonna say but go ahead taylor uh i was gonna say I, I i have a clear decision on this turn i'm not sure i've been talking a lot on the previous streets i don't know if anyone else wants to chime in but i'm going to take this brief moment of silence to say that no one else wants to chime in so i, th I think this is a extremely clear fold in this spot um there, everything that we've been talking about bef before this just leads up to a, us folding. Uh, stage of the tournament, we don't want to bust right now. Uh, we want to preserve our tournament life. Uh, just that should be enough to get us to fold. Um, the aggression or like how we would view our opponent's range uh, should be putting alarm bells in our head that they could have some sort of really strong made hand. And granted, a lot of their like uh, value, value that's making this jam purely as value, uh, we can still beat. Uh, but when we do the math behind it, um, I think you put, I think we have 17 outs. If, if that's yeah. true, uh, if that's true that we have 17 outs, that's what a third of the time we're going to win. Uh, do we want to risk 50 plus big blinds to potentially win 120 or so? The math behind that essentially says, no, I think you want to be around like 42-ish percent equity. 
I, I'm kind of guessing at the numbers, but say something like that. We'd be giving up uh, almost 10% equity by making the call if those outs are truly correct. Um, if they're not correct, then you're essentially saying, well, I think an ace might be good, or I think a seven might be good, or you know, something else along the lines that you potentially have more outs, um, which then you got to think about what hands are they potentially bluffing with in this spot? And Jim stole my point. I was going to save this for this turn decision, but like we have absolutely terrible blockers here. We unblock, we block all the hands that we want them to have. That's it. We block all the hands we want them to have. We want them to have hands that have the seven of spades in there. We want them to be on some sort of draw um, that looks good. We want them to have the ace of spades. We want them to be on that flush draw if you know, we potentially have some sort of better made hand. Uh, when they don't have the ace, they don't have the seven of spades particularly, it really cuts down some of those other combos that we potentially uh, hope that they would have here. Um, plus a lot of other hands you know, that potentially were bluffing on the flop just got there like seven, eight. Um, so slightly more value, but feels so much like a set. Um, if I had to guess, in, you can just put this in your mind that they had pocket sixes here and we just made a really good fold and we just moved on with our life. Um, I think that's just the best way of approaching it because everything is just pointing towards fold here. I did fold. Yep, I think that's a good fold. Good, good discipline fold. He can't even bring himself to say pocket fives. <laughs> All right, let's see if our friend Jonathan Little has anything to add to that, and then we'll come back and uh, talk about this a little more. Have you ever wondered whether you should call a preflop raise or three bet instead? What do you do when you have a flush draw? Do you raise it or do you just call? What do you do with ace king when you miss the flop? Are you tired of guessing about what the right play is with your particular hand? Well, my name is Jonathan Little, and I am a two-time World Poker Tour champion and creator of PokerCoaching.com, where we offer over a thousand interactive hand quizzes where you play a hand and then get real-time feedback from our world-class pros. Don't guess and don't stress. Just register for your free account at PokerCoaching.com slash RecPoker right now. There we go. Thank you, Jonathan Little, great friend of the show. So I think, yeah, I think it is a, I think it is a fold. Um, I think it, it's tempting to think about what life would be like if you won the hand by calling and the draw came in and, um, everyone comes in and picks you up on the shoulders and, you know, there's that big moment. Uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's a fold. Um, and, and I, you knew it, uh, but it, it's, it's, it goes to show like that having that ACE in the seven there, you know, when we saw the flop, we were like, oh boy, you know, I can't wait. The fact that I have these cards is really good for me right now. Um, and they're, they're, it's a really interesting way that those cards, those blockers kind of work because at first they're like permission to bet They're permission to see bet They're permission to raise because you've got hands that you've got, you've got, you're, you're, you can tell things about your opponent's hand, um, just based on your own. But when your opponent's range contorts to the point where it's polarized like that, and it can only have very strong hands or the kind of hands that you block with those, then it really, it really changes the importance of having those, uh, those cards in your hand. So it was a really good example for that. Uh, so thanks for bringing that on, Stu. So what, what, what could we have done otherwise in the hand? I think you, I think you played it. I mean, I think they, I think he had a set and I think you, I think did, so too. Uh, yeah. I think you didn't pay him off for it. So that's, and I think he, 
you know, cost himself some chips maybe by leading that flop. I'm not sure, you know, we can get into maybe what, what they did wrong, but um, what, what, what do people on the panel? When I first read the post, I thought, oh, I should be check raising this flop. And that's like the one thing I would do differently. But when, once we got into it and realized that it was the other player that was doing it, I think it is much better as a check call in the flop. The only, I, I did. Yeah, sorry. No, no, please. please I, I, Kim said, did I cash? I did go on to cash. It was min cash because I lost pocket Kings to eight, 10. Oh, and they, flopped, they flopped six, seven, nine. So oh, no. I think I played that hand wrong though. So. <laughs> <laughs> but, but honestly, I think like the a seven hand, um, what what could we have done differently? Maybe we could have three bet preflop. Um, although mm-hmm. I think they're likely calling with pocket sixes uh, in position, likely. Um, li- limping players don't like to fold to to raises, so you know uh, we, we'll never know. But that's maybe that's one thing. Um, I mean, leading the turn, I guess, is the only. Uh, but I I don't like it. I I, I still prefer the check. So. Yeah, I think it was well played. I, I agree with all the actions that were taken. You know, sometimes you just play a hand well, or you play, I'm not going to say perfectly, but like play a hand right and you lose. Yeah. And yeah. sometimes it's about losing the minimum when you get into those spots. And then right. other spots, it's about winning as much as you can in some of those spots. So um, I think it was played well. I think the only other thing that we consider here, like Chris was talking about, is three betting pre. Hmm. Um, but then uh just being aware that we're three betting as a bluff there like our desired outcome is to get both those players to fold and we just move on to the next hand uh if we do three bet uh pre and we get called we do get ourselves into a weird situation here on this flop and uh depending on which player uh, was in the hand uh, it could have potentially gone worse for us so uh just a thing to consider because three betting and three betting as a bluff uh, increases the variance. And we're also at a stage of the tournament where we potentially don't want to do that. So I definitely get the three bet because you could just take it down there. Uh, you're against ranges that you should be all right. Uh, but also you are increasing your variance at this crucial part of the tournament. And, and specifically when it comes to three betting out of the blinds, um, you really got to be conscious of how quickly the combos of your three bets add up. So if you stick to the suited aces, like a seven suited, um, you, you're still going to get quite a few combos. Like if you're, if you're three bet, if you're three betting hundred percent of the time with hands like ACE eight down through ACE two or something, that's actually a lot. That's a lot of combos. If you're, if heaven forbid, if you're including some offsuit aces in there, you're over three betting, I guarantee it. Um, so you gotta, you gotta turn some of those more desirable aces, like the suited aces, turn them into calls so that you can three bet some of that more garbage stuff, um, when that's appropriate. Uh, and that's, you know, that's a whole nother episode. Maybe we'll get into that next week, but any, um, any final yeah. thoughts on this? No, I, I, I agree hundred percent that the hand was played probably as well as you could. Um, with the exception of Chris's action, which would be to three bet, which you probably would have got the limper to fold. And you probably would have got the initial razor to fold, uh, to fold to your check race. You know, right. that that's could have happened. Uh, one thing I want to caution people, though, is when you're counting your outs, a lot of the outs that you are counting in there would have given a set a full house. Mm. This is the four of spades, True. the ten of spades. So some of those outs are not clean outs. So you got to be careful. <clears throat> yep. Great point, Rob. And, and, and dirty outs are something that 
can can really, especially on these close calls where you know you think you've got just enough equity to make the call, um, that can make uh, that can make a really big difference. I like that. Great, great point. All right. Well, um, I just have so much fun doing these. I love it when we get premium uh, members like Stu to come on the show with uh, a post that they put in the forums themselves. If you're a Rec Poker premium member, uh, head on out there and just drop a drop us a note in the forums. Post a hand or a question about strategy or different kinds of poker or whatever you like, and uh, we'll bring you on here and uh, tell you how great you played it. Right, Stu? <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought we learned guys. we learned a lot yeah. out of that too. So no, thank you. That's wonderful. Um, all right, well, Stu, you're the man. Chris, Rob, Taylor, John, Kim in the chat, uh, Jamel, who made some great points in the forum post as well. Thanks, everybody, and we'll see you next time.